Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Get a Life. Now, here's Bill Ahmed. Some years back, a freshman at Eagle Rock High School, not our Eagle Rock, but Eagle Rock, Idaho, um, won first place in a science fair. And what his project was is he had discovered a, a new or new to him uh, thing that he thought was pretty dangerous and ought to be greatly restricted. And so he came up with seven issues that this thing caused, uh, this chemical compound, and he did research and uh, asked 50 people um, a series of seven questions on whether they agreed that this should be restricted or not. And the compound was dihydrogen monoxide, and I want to read to you the seven questions that he, he asked people. Uh, Number one, it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. It's a major component in acid rain. It can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. Accidental inhalation will kill you. It contributes it to erosion. It decreases the effectiveness of automotive brakes. And it has been found in the tumors of cancer patients. So he asked 50 people, do you think this chemical compound should be restricted? 43 said yes. Six were unsure. And only one person recognized dihydrogen monoxide as H2O, or water. I don't know about you, but I don't want to restrict water. But you can have an irrational fear if you don't know all the facts. And sometimes when we look at the Old Testament and we look at what it says about God, we get an irrational fear of God. God's a little grumpy in the Old Testament. Got to be careful. Got to walk lightly. You never know when God's going to go... Bad for you. And we got this irrational fear of God. And when Paul's writing the book of Romans, what we now call the book of Romans, this is the attitude that he's addressing in the people. Because this is where they've been. Now, we've all grown up, we've heard God is love, Jesus loves you, God wants to be your friend. They've never heard that before. Nobody's ever told them that. And so, as Paul's writing this stuff down, you can just see their mind going, I, wow, nobody's ever said that before. Okay? So, try and remember what they're talking about. Now, we're going through uh, Romans chapter 8, I thought. There we go. Romans chapter 8, uh, get a life. We could have named this a number of things because Romans chapter 8 is full of so much goodness. There's no way we are covering it all today. There's no way you're going to cover it in an hour and a half in your small groups. It's just chuck full of awesome things. I was talking to David last night at band practice. And I said it's complete lunacy to think we can cover Romans chapter 8 in one week. 
which is crazy. So I encourage you to read this and kind of cover it on your own because we are not going to get through everything today. Um, it's just full of great stuff. So hopefully you've got your, your Bible and your sermon notes out with us. Remember at the end of what, chapter 7, Paul was talking about how I do what I don't want to do and the things that I want to do, I don't do. And this is just horrible and it's stupid and I don't understand it. And you're kind of like left in this, there's no hope. Okay? Chapter 8 starts out a little bit better. All right, so um, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, no condemnation sounds good. Sign me up for that. Right? Because of Jesus, because of through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's good news. Right? That's good news. Now... When, when this happens and you're set free from the law of sin and death, you're not guilty anymore. You ever felt guilty? I see lots of heads nodding. Nobody's willing to raise their hand. Right? We've all felt guilty. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. Which sometimes you try your honest level best to do the right thing and it still comes out horrible and you feel guilty. And, and you tried as best you could, right? And we have guilt. And sometimes the church has been experts at laying on the guilt, right? Smother that on thick and heavy, baby. We've just been like, oh, come on. Right? And all of a sudden the guilt is gone. What a relief. Right? You guys have never gotten free of the guilt, I see. Right? When you had that guilt and you finally went to the person, man, I'm so sorry. That I, I didn't, that wasn't supposed to happen. I'm sorry. Don't you feel better? Yes. Even if the other person says, I still hate you. You're like, oh, yeah, but. I mean, I did, I did all I could do. I'm sorry. Right? You feel better. And, and, and that guilt is gone. There's now hope. We've become part of God's special people. This will be um, important later on. Now, Paul spends the next couple of verses talking about two kinds of people. There's people that live in the flesh and people that live in the spirit. Okay? People that live in the flesh are all about the things of the world. They got to keep up with the Joneses. Need a new car. Need a new kitchen remodel. Need a bigger house. Need better shoes. Some of you have got. We, Evan and I, a few years ago, stopped at a house that was having an open house and walked in. This guy had a closet larger than my master bedroom. Okay, and you know my master bedroom is not huge, but it, it's. Fits a king-size bed and some other stuff, right? So, I mean, it's this is a huge, huge closet. 
Keep it up with the Joneses. Got to have more, more suits, more clothes, more, more, more. Where does that end? Someday you die, and where does your stuff go? Goodwill. Or worse yet, the yard sale with all the neighbors picking through it. Right? The other group of people live in the Spirit. They don't live in the flesh. They're not as concerned about the things of the world. How does that end? Life. Life. Right? So hopefully we want to be in that one. Now, interestingly enough, when Paul talks about the Spirit in this chapter, he uses a couple different words for Spirit. He uses um, the Spirit of God, the Spirit, and the Spirit of Christ. Now, there's not three spirits. There's only one. We now call it the Holy Spirit. But Paul's referring all to the same thing there. So don't let that confuse you as you're reading this later. Going on in Romans 8.10, he says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of what? Righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. We get a lot of our Christian beliefs from the book of Romans. One of those is when you go to heaven, are you going to be a ghost or are you going to be a person? What's it say? Who gets life? Your mortal body. You are going to be real when you get to heaven. You're not just going to be a ghost, an apparition, a spirit, whatever you want to call it. You are going to be real. And your body is going to have life. Okay? You are going to have life. Now, think about that. How many people do you think are in the world today who have no hope because they think all that happens is you live here for a few short years and then you die and you're done? Your body goes back to the worms. Right? How much hope do you have? Very little. Very little. I've, I've talked to people that said, I have no hope, and I agree with you. If that's your view of the future, there is no hope. It's a horrible way to live. But that's not what's going to happen to those who are living with the Spirit. Peace comes from that. And he continues in verse 16. He says, The Spirit Himself testified with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share with His sufferings in order that we may also share with His glory. Remember, Paul was talking about we were slaves to sin. How are slaves treated? Poorly. How much vacation time do you get as a slave? Where's your 401k for being a slave? Right? If you're a slave to a master's household and he dies, what happens to you? You get sold to somebody else. 
If you're a child and the master, the father dies, what happens? You get stuff. The inheritance is yours. That's a much better place to be in, don't you think? Now, when Paul uses this thing of of a family, families grow and prosper and suffer together, right? If mom and dad are having a rough spot in the marriage, do the children suffer? Yes. If they're having a tough time economically, the business isn't doing so well, do the children suffer? Yes. We all grow and prosper and suffer together. We go on vacations together and hopefully have a good time. Not too much fighting from the back seat. Right? We, we prosper together. We share in the glory together. And we share in the sufferings together. Did Jesus suffer when He was here? Yes. You all guys all know, like, Jesus was homeless, Right? Jesus didn't have a house. He suffered. His own town didn't like him. His own brothers didn't like him. He suffered. Of course, he suffered greatly at the end. But, you know, he said, if you endure the sufferings with me, there's glory to be had with that too. The Christian life is not a perfect life. They tell us we're going to have suffering. You don't get out of it because you're a Christian. I've met so many people that say, you know, if God was real, then you just brace yourself because you're always worried what comes next. If God was real, He wouldn't let babies die. He'd stop the war. He wouldn't let so-and-so die of cancer. Right? The list is long of things people think God should do. Right? Like somehow they've come up with a thought that nobody's had in the history of the world before. Right? We've all thought that, God, if you loved me, you wouldn't let my mom die. If you haven't been there yet, you will someday. But we all die. Death rate for humans hovers right at 100%. And God says, you're going to suffer. You don't get a free pass because you're a Christian. You're going to suffer. But that is nothing compared to what's going on. You've heard the phrase, first world problems? Yeah, what we have is first world problems. Right? We think it's suffering when somebody cuts us off on the freeway. Right? Well, we think it was a really rough day because the boss yelled at me. Right? Our suffering, (laughs) we don't, most of us don't really know suffering. Most of us really don't know suffering. But God says, listen, when you suffer with me, then you will share the glory with me. Okay? And Paul goes on. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's a very amazing sentence to me. Creation waits 
in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Right? When we sinned, everything suffered. Not just Adam and Eve, but everything suffered. And I thought about this for a while, and I'm not sure what a perfect creation looks like, because I've never seen that. But what is that like? You think about that. A plant grows and produces a flower. Now, it's perfection. There's no death. So that flower never dies. So that plant never produces another flower. It only produces one. I don't know. Those kind of questions I have. Things that keep me up at night. Deep thoughts with Bill. You, you don't want to be there. Trees, fruit trees, they want to give fruit all year long. They are tired of being subjected to bondage and decay. The plants are tired. How should we feel about it? Even more so, right? Even more so. Going on, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For God foreknew, for those God foreknew, He also predestined, uh oh, to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Predestined is a word that if you use in a gathering of Christians, is likely to start a holy war. Some people believe in predestination, some people don't. You know, if I have freedom of choice, how can God know the future? But if God knows the future, it doesn't matter what I choose because God already knows what I choose. And on and on it goes. And we're not going to go there today. God knows the future. He knows that I can have a choice to go right or left. And if I go right or left, I have another choice to go right or left. And then each of those has a choice to go right or left. And each of those has a choice to go right or left. And it builds this massive tree of decisions And God can see them all. God knows that I'm probably likely to pick that path. But at any point, I have freedom to choose a different path. And then God knows what will happen when I pick that path. Who does God predestine? Those He foreknew. Who did He foreknow? Who does God pick in the Old Testament? Israelites, right? You're going to be my special people. And what does God do for the Israelites? Like everything, right? (laughs) Gets them out of Egypt, feeds them in the desert, all kinds of miracles, 
They wander away. He brings them back. On and on it goes. God works with the children of Israel. But if you read the Old Testament, there's times when the children of Israel said, Lord, we like that land over there. And God says, mind your own business. I gave that land to them. I'm working with them. You leave it alone. Ooh, God was working with other people too? Not just the Israelites? Yeah, that's in the Bible. Okay? And so God says, listen, the people that I foreknew are the people who chose me. God had a plan for our redemption before the world was created. He knew that we were likely to fall. And He had a plan before Adam and Eve were ever made. He foreknew and He predestined the ones that will follow Him to be conformed into the image of His Son. has nothing to do with predestination and what choices you make. God was making a plan. And it was a good plan. Okay? Don't get tripped up on that. All right. Now, Paul almost seems um, amazed here that God would adopt him as his child. Right? He, he really spends quite a bit of time on this. And I almost called that this sermon something about that. Because um, going back then... Um, or going forward into verse 31. It says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Listen, God's not going to spoil you because sometimes we think, well, God's going to give me everything I want. A new Lamborghini looks pretty nice. No, that's not what he's saying. Okay? God's not going to spoil you, but he will give you all the things that you need. You're his son. He's not going to let you alone. Going on. I know we're running a little late here. I'm sorry. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is sitting there trying to think of anything. Angels, demons, heights, depth, rulers, anything in the future. He doesn't know what's coming in the future. But there is nothing out there. There is nothing in the universe that is strong enough to keep you away from God's love. I don't know if you listen to country music, you've heard a saying, um, you know, wild horses couldn't drag him away, right? Wild horses, not strong enough. There is nothing out there. And this was mind-blowing to the people who were reading it. We've heard this before. right? You've heard that text before. To them, this was just like, whoa. 
You mean God loves me? You mean God wants me? God wants me to be with Him in heaven for eternity? That's a game changer. That makes all the difference in the world. To go from a God that you fear and are afraid of to one who wants you to be part of His family. Powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful stuff. God loves us. He's shown us that when He gave His Son. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world, what? He gave His only begotten Son. I love you guys. I ain't giving up Evan or Alex for any of you. Let's just be honest. Right? But God loves you that much. God loves you that much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that You are a God that loves us that much, Lord. We can't even comprehend that. Help us to get back to feeling that love again, Lord. Maybe we've wandered away from that a little bit. We've heard it so many times, it just becomes something that just kind of passes by us again. Lord, help us to have that feeling, that feeling of love that You have for us. Unconditional love. Help us, Lord, to tell other people we all have friends or family members that need to hear that, Lord. Help us to be the kind of people that reflect your love and radiate your love to those around us so that people want to hang around with us because they want to know more about you. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.